Well, we're going to get started. This evening, if you please turn your Bibles to Luke 11. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 4 tonight of Luke chapter 11 and considering one final time the pattern of prayer that Jesus lays out for us here in these verses. But, as always, before we do anything else, let's just ask the Lord to guide us on right paths according to His Word tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the great privilege it is to be able to come and worship You tonight as Your people. We thank You tonight that we are Your children and You are our Father. We thank You that we get to express uh, our love for You because of the love that You have shown us in Christ tonight through prayer. We pray that You would teach us by Your Spirit tonight uh, through Your Word on how we can develop the type of hearts that pray the prayer that Jesus gives us here in this passage tonight. Father, we pray that You would be at work, that You would do the work that only You can do. Father, that we would apply Your Word to our hearts and to our prayers even this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we journey along through this six-part study of principles on prayer from the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, we're currently working through section four, which is principles on prayer in the mentoring of Jesus, as Jesus would teach his disciples uh, on a more one-on-one basis away from the uh, away from the ears of the unbelieving crowds. So Jesus has taught his disciples so far in this section the priority of prayer, how it ought to be our first reaction and not our last resort to the issues of life. And now he's teaching us the pattern of prayer here in Luke 11 verses 1 through 4. And Jesus, uh, after his disciples ask him, teach us to pray, he tells them and us, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your, uh, sorry, I was thinking of Matthew, oh, give us each day, which was a separate occasion, by the way, but that's for another time, uh, give, us, uh, give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So Jesus here gives us uh, not a rigid form of words to always follow and recite, I've mentioned that several times, but rather it's a template, it's a pattern that we are to follow in our own prayer life. Um, the picture that I've been using is that of a trellis and a vine. Jesus gives us in this prayer a structure, a trellis, if you will, upon which the vines of our own prayers are to grow and flourish. In other words, we are to pray our own prayers to God, and yet our prayers are to organically take the forms of the themes that Jesus teaches here in these four verses. We saw first that our prayers are to be grounded in love. Jesus says, when you pray, say what? Father, right? Father. This is to be the constant mindset of our prayer, no matter what we're saying. In the back of our mind, we need to remember we're talking to our Father. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we who were once cut off from Him, alienated from Him, and children of wrath, have become children of God who have a relationship of mercy, love, and acceptance in His sight. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we pray, Father. Father, this is what it means to be a believer. It means that we believe and we know that God loves us. Therefore, prayer is not a burden to avoid. It is a delight to be pursued. Though, of course, we often forget this. Prayer is like when Felix or Ethan come running up to me and they say, Daddy, Daddy, would you? And fill in the blank, right? Um, That's prayer. It is calling 
out to our Father from hearts of love, hearts of fearless love. And from that love, our prayers are to center on God. Our requests are to find their proper orbit around His purposes, not our own. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So the two primary concerns we are to have in prayer is the increase of God's honor in a certain situation and uh, and the advancement of God's kingdom. If we cannot sincerely hang our requests off of those two goals, then we have no right in asking for it. And no right of expecting an answer. That's why James 4 verse 3 says this, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So why we pray is just as important as what we pray. Are we praying for the advancement of God's honor? Are we praying for the increase of God's kingdom? And so the template that God gives us or that Jesus gives us for prayer is this, that our prayers are to be grounded in love. They're to be centered on God. And finally, they are to be intersecting. They're to be intersecting with us. All the requests that are given in this prayer pull us by the very weight of their importance into their orbit. Every request that Jesus gives here involves us. And we've already seen that a little bit last week, or at least I tried to point it out for you. Right? Who can pray, Father, hallowed be your name, without immediately being reminded that the only people in this world who can demonstrate that the name of God as Father is holy is only us as children. Right? Who can pray, Father, your kingdom come for the future without being burdened for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, starting with my own life right now? To long for Christ's future rule is to long for Christ's present rule, starting with me and my life and my circumstances. And therefore, all of these requests, though they're centered on God, nevertheless clearly intersect with us. And Jesus continues to make this truth abundantly clear in verses 3-4 through that we're going to look at tonight by giving three practical ways you and I can pray for the advancement of God's honor and God's kingdom in our lives. And that is by praying for our provision, praying for our pardon, and praying for our preservation. If my burden last week was to show you that those requests that were centered on God actually involve us, my burden tonight here in verses 3-4 through is to show you that all these requests that involve us actually are centered on God. Uh, So often we isolate those two things, right? Uh, We think that the petitions uh, addressing God have nothing to do with us, and the petitions that involve us have nothing to do with God, and Jesus shows us in this prayer that could not be further from the truth. Um, These three requests that we're going to look at tonight, though involve us, are nevertheless still firmly centered on God and grounded in love. These are still ultimate prayers for God's honor and God's kingdom. So let's take a look at this. Out of a heart of love, we are to pray that we would be in, that that we would be involved in the purposes of God by praying first for our provision, for our provision. That's the beginning of verse three. Jesus says, "Give us this day our daily bread." And this is pretty straightforward again. Uh, but Jesus leaves nothing out. If we are to live lives, think about it, that advance God's kingdom and glory, then we have to be alive. <laughs> and we have to stay alive. And we therefore we ought to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Because without our daily bread, what will happen? We will die. 
And pardon me for being Captain Obvious tonight, but the moment we die, that ends our ability to advance God's kingdom and honor in this earth. That's why the psalmist says in Psalms 115, verse 17, the dead cannot praise the Lord, nor can any who go down into silence. Or Psalm 6, verse 5, who in the grave will give you praise? It is the living, Isaiah 38, 19 says, the living who give thanks to you. Therefore, if it is my current duty and uh, honor to praise and glorify God on this earth, then I ought to pray, Father, keep me alive. (laughs) Give me my daily bread. I think it's comforting that Jesus guides us to pray in this way because it reminds us, as Psalms 103, verse 14 says, that God knows our frame and He is mindful that each and every one of us are but dust. Are but dust. And because of that, knowing the frailty of our body, He instructs us to pray for our daily bread. Now, I don't think that's limited to simply a loaf of bread. Uh, If you want to pray for cupcakes, that's okay, but He might not give it. (laughs) Jesus means that we should pray for necessities to keep us alive in order to be able to carry out His purposes. For example, food, water, clothing, sleep, shelter, general health. Um, These are legitimate requests to give to our Father because those are necessities that sustain us. Now, I do have to make a qualifier. If your prayer life looks like your... and if your prayer list looks like your Amazon wish list, something needs to desperately change because we are to pray for what we need not for what we want. Uh, That's why Solomon wisely prayed in Proverbs 30, verse 8, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and I deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In other words, we pray not for what we want, but for what we need. Give me the bread that is needful for me. And that narrows down the field, doesn't it? For a lot of the things that we sometimes feel like we want to pray for, right? For while there are many physical things that we want, there are far fewer physical things that, when you think about it, we actually need. God, give me a roof today to cover me, clothes today to warm me, food and drink today to sustain me, and the physical strength today to use those gifts for your honor and for your glory, and with these things I will be content this is to be the heart of a praying disciple give us each day our daily bread and we need to remember the reason why we're praying for these necessities it is so that we can honor god and advance his kingdom our request for provision has to always hang off of those two purposes that is why sometimes our prayers might need to change especially prayers for our health I could give it a life example, but I'll give you a scriptural one tonight. Uh, for example, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17. Paul had a physical ailment, uh, a thorn in the flesh as he described it. And so casting all of his cares on God, Paul proceeded, when you study that chapter, to pray three times that the Lord would remove that, thro- that thorn so that he could serve God without that impediment. Was that appropriate to pray that way? Yeah, absolutely, Right? But after a while, Paul confesses in 1 Corinthians 12 that his prayers changed. For the Lord showed Paul that through his ailment, God's strength was actually being magnified. God's strength was being made perfect through Paul's weakness. 
And so, after a while, though doubtless Paul would be totally content with God changing his circumstances if the Lord ordained, after a while, Paul realized that he didn't need that, he didn't need that thorn to be removed. In fact, he was glorifying God better with it than he was without it. And so he went for, from praying for the ailment to be removed for praising God because of the ailment being given. You have to ask why. How could he pray that? It's because Paul's prayers didn't ultimately hang on his concern for physical health, but rather his concern for God's honor and the advancement of his kingdom and glory. And that's why he said, I am therefore, in Second Corinthians 12.10, I am therefore well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So even our prayers for provision have to hang off of and adapt to our greater concern for God's honor and glory. As the psalmist wrote, What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Therefore hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. This is the heartbeat of this request. For the increase of your honor, Lord, And for the increase of your kingdom, O Father, give us this day our daily bread. So the heart of a praying disciple asks to be involved in the purposes of God by praying first for our provision, and second, for praying for our pardon. That's at the beginning of verse 4, where Jesus says, And forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This request flows out of the previous one. God gives us life, right? But what is the point of life if you are not forgiven? What point is there to life if you receive, as Jesus says in John 6.27, the bread that perishes, but only to miss out on the bread that endures to eternal life? Or as he says in Mark 8.38, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? All the loaves of bread you could ever want and yet lose your own soul. What's the point of provision without pardon? And so Jesus says, Father, forgive us our sins. We ought to pray, Father, forgive us our sins. I think that's at least part of what Jesus is saying here, but I think it actually goes a whole lot deeper. Remember, who is Jesus talking to here? He's talking to his, the unbelieving crowd? No, he's talking to his disciples, right? Those who are already children of God, who have already been forgiven of all of their sins through faith in Christ Jesus. So if God is already our Father, and if our sins are already forgiven, then why are we to ask our Father to forgive us our sins? The answer, I think, is because Jesus is talking here not about, sorry to use these words, but judicial forgiveness. He's talking about relational forgiveness. For example, when I was a kid, I was a naughty kid for a long time. And I drove my parents up the wall. And uh, I would often do many things I'm not proud of, many things that disappointed my parents, and in particular my father. Now no matter what I did, nothing could ever change what was on my birth certificate. right? (laughs) Nothing could ever change that I was my father's son, and that uh, my dad was my father, who, he was a good father, who loved me. But the nearness and warmth of that relationship was definitely affected by certain things that I did growing up. And in those times when I did what was wrong, uh, it would feel like nothing was ever right in the entire universe until I finally came clean 
and confessed to my dad what I had done and asked for forgiveness. That's the way it is with us and God as well. Nothing can change the fact that in Christ, God is now forever our Father who loves us with undying love. But if we want to enjoy the full benefits and blessings of that relationship, we've got to come clean to Him. We've got to admit our wrongs. We've got to confess our sins and ask God for forgiveness. This is what 1 John 1.9 is talking about. It's written to believers, 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's our promise. Therefore, since we have the promise that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, we ought to pray, forgive us our sins. And notice Jesus adds this. And this is where uh, the conviction comes in. Jesus adds, forgive us our sins. Why? For we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now this does not mean that God's forgiveness to us is contingent on our forgiveness of others. This is what this means. Children of God act like their father. That's what Jesus is saying. As was declared by Moses, or to Moses on the mountain in Exodus 34, God declared to Moses there, He said, The Lord is compassionate, uh, gracious. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord keeps steadfast love for thousands. The Lord forgives iniquity and sin. And we who are His ought to walk in the same manner in which He walked. 1 John 2.6 Forgiving everyone who is indebted to us. As Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So as children of God, we must have the heart to pray, Father, we will show ourselves to be Your children today through your, our mercy and forgiveness to everyone, just as You showed Yourself as Father to us through Your mercy and forgiveness to us. So can you pray that tonight? Could you honestly say tonight, forgive us our sins, forgive me my sins, God, because I forgive everyone who is indebted to me. Are you acting as your Father has acted towards you? Is there someone that you need to forgive tonight? Do you need to forgive your spouse for something that they've done? Char says, yes. <laughs> Have you been unwilling to forgive your parents? Have you forgiven your employer who's wronged you? Do you have a grudge or a root of bitterness against someone in the church? You need to forgive them in your heart and you need to release them from that debt. You need to let the prisoner go free and guess what? You'll find out as Jesus teaches elsewhere that that prisoner all along was you. Was you. Forgiveness. It's the only way that you can live unhindered this week. Why? For the advancement of God's honor and the increase of God's kingdom. Without forgiveness, you will be in bondage to bitterness. So let the heart, the heart of a praying disciple ask to be involved in the purposes of God by praying first for our provision, second for our pardon, and then finally, really quickly, in conclusion, for our preservation. That's at the end of verse 4, where Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation. And this continues the progression that he's saying here in Luke, right? So follow Jesus' argument. What is the point of life if our sins are not forgiven? Right? And what is the point of forgiving our sins if we just keep endlessly falling right back into them and living in them without any victory and without any cleansing? 
How does that honor God? How does that advance God's kingdom? The answer is it doesn't. And so Jesus asks us to pray, or He instructs us to pray daily, lead us not into temptation. And what He's talking about here is the over, overpowering temptation, the ones that could cause us to fall. We can't avoid in life every trial and temptation. It's part of our human existence in this world. And in fact, God uses those character tests in our lives to make us stronger. That's what James 1, 2-3 through 3 says. But nevertheless, there are areas in our lives where we are critically weak. And it is if certain circumstances would ever arise in a certain way, we would crumble in a moment. Whoever doubts that, if you say, ah, no, I think, I think no matter what could be thrown at me, I think I could make it. Uh, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. There is some area of your life where you are critically weak. That if there was a certain temptation that would come to you, if God did not aid you, you would crumble in a moment. We need to recognize that sin is crouching at our door. We need to recognize and confess our total weakness and pray, Father, please do not lead me into a trial that I will fail. I know my own desires lure and entice me, so Father, lead me around that. Help me avoid it today. Providentially keep me from it by your grace. Lead us not into temptation. But rather, as the psalmist wrote, lead me on paths of righteousness for your name's sake. It's for your honor, right? Again, it's for your kingdom. Deliver me from the snares of the evil one and the besetting sins that so easily entangle me. If I am to live for your honor and your kingdom, then be my refuge, be my strength, be my very present help in time of trouble, be my good shepherd, and lead me not into temptation today. Well, there's a lot more that I want to say and wish I could say, um, but perhaps for another time. I just want you to know tonight from what Jesus teaches here is that this trellis is not for you to mindlessly recite. And this teaching and sermons are not for us to mindlessly hear. This is for us to obey and apply to our own prayer lives. That we would obey it, that we would take it up, and that we would follow the Lord in prayer. Because if we follow this trellis, we'll become what those disciples wanted to become. Followers of Christ who pray. And so this is the pattern of prayer. It is always grounded in love. It is always centered on God, and it is always involving us. Our provision, our provision, our pardon, and our preservation.